good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Pastor Pete, thanks for the kind introduction. I've been speaking uh, full-time since I graduated from Ohio State, and one of the things I've discovered as a full-time speaker is that it's very helpful when you have a kind introduction because it really sets your presentation off on the right trajectory. And, uh, and I've found that if you have a bad introduction, the opposite can be true. And I've learned this many times through personal experience. I've been introduced as Joel Payton, which isn't my name. Um, I've been introduced as uh, Joseph Henton. And my personal favorite was when I was introduced as Joey Pendleton. I said, that's a fun name. Maybe I should have been Joey Pendleton. But, uh, but no, but uh, perhaps the, the funniest time was when I was, uh, I was speaking at a youth conference in Columbus. And there were about 2,000 students at this youth, youth conference. And the guy that introduced me was very enthusiastic. And he went up on stage and he said, hey, everybody, we have a great speaker this evening. About a year ago, the leadership team and I voted. We decided unanimously on who we wanted to come and speak. And so I called the guy up. I got him on the phone. He agreed to come speak. But you know what? Last week he called me and said he couldn't make it. (laughs) And so tonight we have Joel Penton. Yeah, that's actually a true story, and so that's why I appreciate the kind introduction, and, uh, and I'm excited to be with you. Uh, I'm curious, do we have some Ohio State fans in the room? Okay, we have a few. We don't have any Michigan fans, do we? Oh, there, there are a few. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? It's okay, because you know what? My understanding is that, correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Pete, but this church is all about um, seeking the lost. So if you're a Michigan fan, you're in the right place. But uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be with you. A few reasons. I want to introduce my family. In fact, I think we have a photo of my family, if we can bring that up. There it is. Um, and I've got a couple of the boys here, but in, in the photo beside, beside me is my beautiful wife, Bethany. She and I met at Ohio State. I know it looks like she's my daughter, but nope, she is my wife. She's actually a year older than me. Um, I just don't age nearly as well. She was a gymnast at Ohio State, and now she is a high-level competitive CrossFitter. Anybody here do CrossFit? Okay, well, she is doing the Open right now, and in her age bracket, I think as of right now, she's ranked... Now, it might have been just this, I don't know if it's just this past workout or overall in the open, but fifth in the entire world. And she has had five children. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, so that's Bethany. And then on the left side of the screen is uh, Joel, who's over here, Joel the third. Joel's 10. Uh, on the right side of the screen is Judah. Judah is eight. On the ground there is Luther, who's also sitting over here. <laughs> Luther's very excited. Um, And Luther 6, on my lap is the certifiably cutest child ever to have been born. That's our only daughter, Vera. She is four. And then on Bethany's lap is a very large one-year-old whose name is Levi. I was number 98 at Ohio State. He is in the 98th percentile. And so he may be our Division I 
linemen. So anyway, that's that's the family. Um, so the ages again: ten, eight, six, four, and one and a half. If I look and sound tired, that that picture is the reason why, because of those those kids and that family. So in any case, um, I will share a bit more about uh, our ministry, Stand for Truth. You saw a video about it, but there's a bit more to share. Uh, before I do that, though, first and foremost, I'm excited to share from the Word of God. So if you have a Bible, grab it and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We can bring up that, there it is, and... Um, as you turn, now, the, the screen's actually wrong. It says verses 1 through 5, but it's really only verses 1 through 4. So we have a 20% off deal going uh, this morning. Uh, verses 1 through 4, and you'll notice that the, I've titled the message, a very seemingly arrogant title for anyone to give their own speech, and that is, Of First Importance. Um, Of course, I'm taking that right out of the passage itself. And as you turn, I'll ask you to consider this question. It may sound like a strange question, but consider it nonetheless. What is the most important thing that you know? What's the most important piece of information that you have? Because certainly some information is more important than other pieces of information. Maybe you'd think, oh, well, that's got to be my, um, my social security number because of identity theft. Or maybe it's something really practical like that same password you use on all the different websites. <laughs> and sometimes you have to add an exclamation mark. Or maybe it's something really personal like a childhood memory or the memory of a loved one you've lost. I'm sure you could, you could think on it for a while, but you don't have to because Scripture actually tells us that there is one piece of information that is most important, uh, and that is something called the gospel, what it literally means good news. And really... The Bible itself, all of Scripture, is an expanded telling of the gospel. But there is one place in Scripture that is perhaps the most succinct telling of the center of the gospel. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that's what we'll read this morning. So if we can bring it up on screen... Verses 1 through 4, here the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and first he says a couple things, a few things about the gospel. Let me read that first. Verses 1 through 3a, he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Now you might be sitting here thinking, okay, I have been a Christian for a long time. I've been going to this church for a long time, and here we're going to talk about the gospel. That's like JV stuff. And I am a varsity Christian. This is Christianity. This is Christianity 101. I'm ready for like 401. Like, why are we spending our time on the gospel? And here in verse 1 of chapter 15, Paul says, Let me remind you of the gospel. There are certain things that are worth being reminded of. Of. There are certain things that are worth coming back to again and again. It reminds me of a story uh, that, it, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a story about Martin Luther. I named Luther after Martin Luther. And uh, 
apparently, you know, he preached many times every week. And apparently one time someone in his church approached him and said, uh, Pastor, why is it that week after week after week you say the same thing? Week after week you preach the gospel. And Martin Luther said, because week after week you forget it. And there's a certain amount of truth to that, that our hearts default contrary to the gospel, and we must come back to it again and again and again. He says, let me remind you of the gospel. I preach to you which you received, in which you stand. Are you standing in the gospel? Does that characterize your life? In which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You know, there's a, a brand of belief, there's a kind of belief that's in vain, it's counterfeit, it's not genuine. He says this in verse 3, for I delivered to you as of, here's our phrase, as of first importance, not second, not third, as a first importance, what I also received. I love you can see the generational, the, the transmissional nature of the gospel there. Just in that little phrase, you see that Paul said that he received the gospel from someone else and he has passed it to the Corinthians and it's gone on and on and on until now, 2,000 years later, we have received the gospel and we can pass it on to others. Now, in our English Bibles, we have a colon after the word received. And so what we're about to read here is the gospel, and we'll work through it bit by bit. Here's how it goes. The first thing we'll look at, uh, we can go to the next slide, is that Christ, at the center of the gospel, we see there is a person, a person who's going by the title of Christ. Now, the word Christ there is actually a transliteration of a Greek word, which is a translation of a Hebrew word, the Hebrew word Messiah. Is that right? I think that's right. Which means, which means anointed one. Here's what you need to understand. In the Old Testament, there were three different offices, three different jobs, three different roles that were anointed. There was the prophet was anointed, the priest was anointed, and the king was anointed. And for centuries, the Old Testament foretold that there would be one true anointed one who was to come, one true Messiah, one true Christ, one true prophet, who not only spoke the words of God, but one who actually was the very manifestation of the word of God himself. One true priest who not only interceded on behalf of man to God, but one who was actually the union of man and God in one person himself. One who not only offered sacrifices to God on man's behalf, but one who was the sacrifice himself offered on behalf of man. And one true king who not only ruled and reigned in Jerusalem over Israel, but who rules and reigns over the entire universe. This one true Messiah, this one true Christ, we come to find out, is a man named Jesus. And at the center of the gospel is this person, Jesus. And this is really interesting for at least, at least two reasons. Number one, you realize that most world religions don't have a person at their center. 
Uh, it's often been said of, of Islam that you can take Muhammad out of Islam and you'd still have Islam. Because while Muhammad taught Islam, Islam is conceptual. It's, it's based on ideas. It's not based on a person. You could take Buddha out of Buddhism and you'd still have Buddhism. You could take Confucius out of Confucianism and you'd still have Confucianism. However, you cannot take Jesus out of Christianity. If you take Jesus out of Christianity, you don't have Christianity anymore. This is fascinating. It's also interesting because that person at the center of Christianity didn't do the things that most people who make an impact on the world have done. To make an impact on the world, historically speaking, you pretty much need to do one of three things. You either need to hold a political office, like be a king or a president. You need to lead a military force, or you need to be a prolific author. However, Jesus in his earthly ministry, if you thought about this, didn't do any of those three things. He didn't hold a political office. He didn't lead a military force, and he didn't write a book. However, this one guy, we keep track of time based on when he lived. We say we live in 2019 because 2019 years ago, Jesus walked the earth. And in this Jesus, this Christ, is at the center of Christianity, is at the center of the gospel, the most important information, the most important thing in the world, all right? Let's keep reading. Jesus did something. What did he do? Next slide. He died for our sins. That might sound like bad news because here we have Jesus dying, but it's very good news because of the context that this news comes into, and that's this, that we are sinners. Each and every one of us, down to our very core, We are sinners. We are created to know and to love and to serve and to worship God. However, we've done the opposite. We've turned away from God, rejected God, rebelled against God to to love and serve ourselves instead of him. In fact, we've put ourselves at the center of the universe. And if you doubt that, I'll just ask you, when you get the new family photo, the new class photo, the new team photo, who do you look for first? The same person I look for, and that is self, because we've put ourselves at the center of the universe. Something I I ask students to consider is, what if we took this screen and we were to put on this screen every thought that you've had in the last 24 hours on the screen for everyone in the room to read? It makes me want to throw up (laughs) just thinking about it, because if we look in the mirror just for a moment, will recognize that inside each and every one of us is a deep, deep brokenness, a deep evil, and that's sin. And because of that, we're separated from God. In fact, we deserve to be separated from God and his love forever in hell. We've offended an infinitely honorable God, and our just punishment is infinite, And into that context, we read the beautiful words that Christ died for our sins. There's so much beauty packed into that phrase, so much depth of of truth packed into that phrase. How many of you in the room like big words? There's three of us. Okay. The three of us are about to have a lot of fun. Okay, Luther. Luther. 
It's true. He loves words. Just sit near him and you'll hear. Um, the, the three of us like big words. We'll have a little bit of fun here. Everybody else can just listen in. Okay, packed into this phrase, we have the doctrine of propitiation. Say propitiation. Mm, sound good. It's this truth that the wrath of God was coming down on mankind and Jesus stepped in and absorbed that wrath and propitiated the wrath of God on our behalf so that we don't have to when Jesus died for our sins. It's the doctrine of expiation. Say expiation. And it's this, that in our sin, we're filthy. We're stained before a holy righteous and perfect God. And Jesus, when he died for our sins, cleanses us. He expiates us and cleanses us from our sin. It's a doctrine of redemption. Say redemption. Did you realize that when uh, scripture talks about the effects of sin, the most common referred to effect of sin is not necessarily that of guilt, but the most commonly referred to is one of bondage one of slavery, that in our sin, we're slaves to sin. But when Jesus died for our sins, he broke the bonds of sins. He set the captives free. He redeems us out of slavery. It's the doctrine of reconciliation. Say reconciliation. It's this beautiful fact that in our sin, we are far from God. We're alienated from God. But when Jesus died for our sins, he brings us close to God. He reconciles us into a right relationship with God. We could go on to talk about adoption. We could go on to talk about justification. We could go on to talk about all the different aspects of the atonement. But just know this, that the center of the most important information in the whole world is this beautiful fact that Jesus died for our sins. Let's keep reading. He did so in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, All that Jesus did and all that Jesus is was foretold both in very specific predictive ways and also in foreshadowings in the Old Testament. Then all that Jesus is and has done is written down for us in the New Testament. This gospel is in accordance with this book, with scripture right here. We're going to keep reading because we don't have a ton of time. And that is that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture. Here's the truth that even though Jesus died three days later, he wasn't dead anymore because he defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. He rose from the dead. Another big difference between Christianity and other world religions, right? Muhammad died and is still dead. Buddha died and is still dead. Confucius died and is still dead. Jesus died, but he's not dead. Now he's alive and well. He's seated on a throne. He's ruling and reigning over everyone, over everything. He's ruling over us as we speak. Jesus is alive, and that is the glorious truth of the gospel. And so I want to quickly make just a couple observations about the gospel. Uh, The first observation I want to make about the gospel is this, that it is inexhaustibly profound, but we can go on to the next slide, inexhaustibly profound and yet excessively simple. Uh, 
the greatest minds this world has to offer could ponder the depths of this gospel forever. In fact, you could start reading books just written about the gospel right now, and if you had a hundred lifetimes, you wouldn't get to the end of those books. In fact, you wouldn't be able to read at the speed that new books are being written about the gospel. Because this gospel is so deep, it's so profound, and yet it's been compared to a lake in which an elephant can swim and a child can wade. Because the gospel is also, on one level, very simple, isn't it? I mean, it's only just a couple lines. It didn't take us long to read. You can teach this type of thing to children. Uh, and, and you should. Something we do at our house, we try to connect things uh, to the gospel. Like at our house when we eat, uh, so we go to Costco. Anybody go to Costco? Is there a Costco around here? Is there? Yeah. Uh, if you have five kids, you have to go to Costco just for the math to work. Um, but uh, we go to Costco and we get the rotisserie chicken. Now these things are huge. I don't know what chemicals they're putting in them. Um, I don't care because they're massive and they only cost $5. And something we do is we'll take that rotisserie chicken and we'll put it, we just did this the other day, we'll put it in the center of the table. Actually, I guess we did, anyway. We did put it in the center of the table and we gather our kids around the table and, and my wife and I said that there are no plates, no napkins, no forks. We just step back and we say, go. It is nutritious and entertaining all at the same time. It's like a scene from Jurassic Park, seriously. Um, but something, <laughs> Luther, we'll do questions later. Can you sit, hey buddy, can you sit on your seat, please? Thanks, bud. Um, so something, so we'll, we'll do that. But before I say go, uh, I'll often say something, my kids have heard me say many times, I will say, children, wasn't it kind of this chicken to give its life so that we can live. And, and they get that. Like they get that this chicken died and in doing so sustains our life. And we tie it to the gospel. Of course, not too long ago, my oldest son raised his hand and said, Dad, you know, I don't think the chicken chose to give its life. <laughs> I said, ha, 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 eat your chicken. <laughs> but you can teach it to children. It's simple. So something else we do, we, I mean, we just drill this into our kids' heads um, as soon as they're even able to talk. So we have something we call the Penton Catechism, which is this question-answer thing that they memorize. Um, and uh, we'll do a little bit, bit of it to, to, just to show you. It's very simple. Uh, we'll just alternate. Hey, Joel, you ready for the catechism? Okay, Joel, who loves you the most? Luther, who loves you next? Got to get that order right, Daddy and Mommy, that's right. Joel, uh, why do Daddy and Mommy love you? Luther, how long will you be our son? That's right, we'll skip ahead to this part. Uh, Joel, what's the most important thing in the whole world? Luther, what is the gospel? Very good. A little assist from the older brother there. Um, Joel, how do we respond to the gospel? 
With faith. And Luther, how do we preach the gospel? With words. Very appropriate for you to have that answer, Luther. It's as simple, right? Kids can learn this. Profound and simple. And the other thing I want to notice about this gospel is that it's fundamentally news to be proclaimed, not rules to be followed. It's amazing to me that it's still popular opinion that Christianity is all about rules. Do this, don't do this. That couldn't be further from the truth. Other religions say that. Other religions say do a bunch of good things and avoid doing bad things and and God will love you. Christianity says there's a long list of things you were supposed to do and you did like none of them. And there was a long list of things you were supposed to not do and you've been doing most of them. But guess what? There's someone who accomplished it all perfectly on your behalf. And then he died and paid the penalty that you deserve to pay. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And if you would trust him, he will credit to your account his very righteousness. This is amazing news that we should herald from the mountaintop. Hear ye, hear ye, the king. The king is pardoning the rebels. Turn to him and bend the knee. This is news. Notice that uh, Luther told us that we preach this with words. There's this really, really annoying saying attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I don't know whether he said it or not, but it goes like this. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. That really bothers me. (laughs) Because it implies you can preach the gospel without words. And I'll just ask you, how do you tell someone that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead without words? This is news. Sure, we, there's moral implications and our lives harmonize the gospel, but the melody is the gospel itself. It's the most important information in all the world. It's worth doing something like going to a foreign country where they're killing Christians to tell people this gospel. It's worth doing something like we've done, starting a nonprofit to preach the gospel to students in schools, and it's definitely worth walking to the backyard fence and talking to your neighbor about. It's definitely worth taking a coworker to coffee, paying for their coffee, and saying, hey, have you ever thought about this? It's the most important thing in the world. Let me pray for us, and uh, then... I'll have both the boys come up, and they'll help me tell you a bit about our ministry. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gospel. It is good news. It's great news. And Lord, it, um, it's transforming. We, we confess that without your spirit, without your help, we can't be changed. And Lord, we can't change others. So, Lord, that's why we ask that your spirit would activate this within us. 
that you would change us and enable us to respond and be changed by this, your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.